Uh, so welcome back to Vespers. We had the table last week, so I hope that was a fun break to mix things up and that you guys enjoyed that. Um, and then two weeks ago at Vespers, we had Larry Locke come, one of our elders, and he's also a professor at UMHB. Um, and that was a treat. And he, we're, so we're in our, our Genesis series, Genesis 1 through 11, talking about the origins of creation. And um, Larry came and wrapped, wrapped us up on Genesis 3, talked about the fall and um, the different struggles that we see throughout the fall, and then um, the consequences as a result of the fall, but he also left us with reminding us that there is a promise here, that we aren't just destined to this eternal curse, but there's a promise, and that is that Jesus will come to break the curse, and so we're living in that right now, that Jesus has come to break the curse. We know that there is hope, um, and we're living in this already not yet tension of when God is going to let his children have the final victory and that we don't have to struggle through um, death anymore. And so we ended with uh, Adam and Eve being banished from the garden. And now we're going to be in chapter 4. And we are going to be talking about their children, Cain and Abel. So we're going to go ahead and jump into our text for tonight chapter 4 of Genesis, so that's the very first book in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible of your own, we have some extra back there in front of the sound booth. If you would like to take one, it'll also be up here on the screen for you to follow along. But starting in verse 1 of chapter 4, it says, Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, so he was a shepherd, and Cain worked the soil, so he was a farmer. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel, on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and he killed him. Okay, so what just, what just happened here? What did we just read? We have this first family in the Bible, and it's a very dysfunctional family. And so if you come from a dysfunctional family, I want you to know that you're not alone because there are tons of dysfunctional families in the Bible. Um, but this is our first dysfunctional family that we're coming across. And then we have this conflict between these two brothers. And why do we have the conflict? Well, because they bring the sacrifice to God. And first of all, we also don't really know why they're bringing a sacrifice. The text doesn't tell us here, but this is their sacrifice to God. So we can assume that it's probably, um, sacrifices are typically either to make something right with God, or they're an act of worship, or just a sign of loyalty. So they're probably doing one of those things, but they're making the sacrifice to God. And then we see that God rejects Cain's sacrifice, and he accepts 
Abel's sacrifice. And we don't exactly know why he accepted one over the other. Some people like to read into this text and try and reason that maybe it's because Abel's sacrifice was better. Maybe he gave a better portion to God, and so that's why God accepted it. Or maybe his heart was more pure and he was living a more righteous life, so that's why God accepted Abel's sacrifice over Cain. But we're also not exactly told that in this text. You might can read into it. You might could assume that, but because of that, because it's not crystal clear, we're not going to spend our time focusing on that tonight because I don't think that is what God is trying to teach us through this text. But we see that there's this conflict between these brothers. And um, what, what we're going to see happen here is that Cain is going to be challenged. He's, he's tested, and we're seeing how he responds to the fact that um, he's not getting his way. He's not getting his way. And we're going to see how he responds. And so Cain is being tested, and there's this tension here. And what does he do? God offers him a choice in how he responds, but then he gets mad, right? He throws a temper tantrum, and he lets rage take over, and he lets sin win in the story, and then he ends up murdering his brother. He gets him in a a private place where no one's going to see, and then he murders his brother. Okay, so again, I don't want us to think about this story as this moral lesson about murder because I think we can all agree that murder is wrong and and that's not what the main point of the text is, right? I hope we can all agree on that. Um, But what the point of this text, I think what God is trying to teach Cain here and therefore also teach us is that there are going to be times when we don't get our way. There are going to be times when our plans are rejected. And how are we going to respond to that? How are we going to respond to this tension? Life is going to be unfair. And that's going to make us mad. It's going to make us mad when life is unfair and things don't go our way. So God sees Cain's rage starting to swell up. He sees it starting to stir. And then he presents Cain with this choice. And this choice is very similar to the choice that we saw Adam and Eve get in the garden, right? They got the choice of either choosing God, what God says is good or choosing to find good and evil for themselves, which ultimately leads to death. So God is then giving their son another chance, He's saying, you can choose what I say is good, or you can choose to give in to sin, which ultimately leads to death. And I think that's really important for us to notice here that um, Cain is getting this choice because this is post-fall, right? The sin has already entered into the world, but we still get a choice. We don't have to be victims of sin God still gives us power to choose good or evil. We still have that power to choose, and I think that's important to notice. But let's look at verse 7 again. It says, see what God says about sin. Verse 7 says, If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. 
It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. So it says sin is crouching at your door. So God is giving this imagery here, um, and this is what I want us to think of. It's a video. The baboons are going What are you doing, son? Pouncing. Let an old pro show you how it's done. I told the elephants to forget it, but they can't. Zazu, would you turn around? Yes, sire. The cheetahs are hard up. Stay low to the ground. Cheetahs never prosper. Okay, stay low to the ground, right? What's going on? A pouncing lesson. Oh, very good. Pouncing. Pouncing? Oh, no, sire, you can't be serious. This is so humiliating. Try not to make us. What are you telling him, Mufasa? Mufasa? Simba? <laughs> That's very good. Okay, so it's not exactly Lion King. We're probably supposed to think of a little bit more fierce lion than that. But this imagery that God is trying to get us to think of is this lion that is crouching, that is ready to pounce on its prey. It's stalking its prey and it's ready to pounce. Um, the Bible Project explains it this way. So we're talking about sin. Just like Adam and Eve encountered a deceptive creature that led them into sin, here God describes sin as a creature waiting to pounce. Sin is a predator looking for opportunities to destroy us. But God instructs Cain to rule over it. Okay, so this should also sound familiar, this rule over a language. Remember, we talked about being made in the image of God means that we have the authority to rule and that we are free to rule the earth. That's what it means to be made in the image of God. So God here in this text is reminding Cain. He's reminding him of his identity. He's saying, remember, Cain, you are called to rule. So rule sin. You're called to rule. Don't let sin rule you, Cain. Don't let sin rule you because you are called to rule. Remember, you get to rule the creatures. He talks about the lion. Um, this imagery is supposed to remind us that we are called to rule, not be ruled over. And y'all, sin, it's dangerous. And it, just like a lion, it is waiting to take you as its victim. And we have to be on guard against sin because it is crouching at our door, all of us. None of us are exempt from sin crouching at our door. So Ephesians 6, 10 um, says, it's talking about the armor of God. And it, it says, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. So we know that we, we've talked about this evil, um, this battle imagery, like we are going to war, we're gonna have to fight evil. And this text is reminding us that we need to put on the armor of God and not get lazy and not wait around for sin to crouch and attack us, but be ready for it because it's going to come, right? It's going to come. So we have to be prepared for battle. We want to be rulers over sin and not let sin rule over us. And I think, unfortunately, 
a lot of the times we do let sin rule over us. We let it have the best of, of us. And we don't put it in its, its place. So I thought it would be helpful for us for our first question at our tables tonight to talk about what are some ways that you can rule over sin and keep sin from ruling over you. So I want, to, I want y'all to talk at your tables. What are some practical ways? Maybe these are things that you're practicing right now or you've heard of someone that does this or you think it might be a good idea, but what are some ways that you can put some practical tools into your life to rule over sin and not let it rule over you? So y'all talk for a few minutes. All right. Who wants to share? If this is your first time, this is how we do things. We talk a little bit, then talk at your tables, and then we'll just share in the big group um, and do that one more time. Anyone want to share? Ashley? Um, I'm Ashley. So at our table, we really talked about setting goals, maybe weekly goals, monthly goals for yourself. Um, Stick like a sticky note, maybe like on your mirror, set like an alarm on your phone. Um, We also talked about just starting your day off right, like podcast, music, just positive energy that just will hopefully carry on throughout your day and towards the people you interact with. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, if our hearts, we want to get our heart in the best place possible and be in the presence of Jesus so that we have more um, power to fight sin. Uh, Also, I think you're right. Like, a lot of times sin isn't just something that happens spur of the moment. Like, you know what your shortcomings are. You know the things that, you're gonna, that are going to tempt you. So it's good to do planning ahead and thinking, like, what are these goals that I can set for sure? <laughs> okay, so we talked about um, accountability, like having an accountability partner. Mm-hmm. Like these two girls right here were all accountability partners especially since like we're all taking somewhat of the same classes right now. We're like holding our, is, like each other accountable like to get our assignments done on time, to make sure like we're okay because nursing y'all is hard and we're not even in nursing school yet. So. <laughs> um, so it's just having that person you can go to and make sure that you just, you just have that person. Mm-hmm. I have two, I have multiple people, <laughs> thank God. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And, and knowing that you have like, someone who is going to check in on you, kind of like hold you more accountable to maybe not fall into temptation because you know you're going to have to tell that to somebody else, right? Yeah. Um, we also talked about um, sometimes people like aren't big people, pe- people persons or whatever. You don't feel comfortable talking about your feelings and stuff like that. And so kind of another way we uh, talked about was journaling because mm-hmm. sometimes it's kind of like when you take notes in class. You know, they say if you handwrite stuff out, you're, you know, you'll remember it better. But also with that, when you write things down, you think about them. So you maybe yeah. think about them twice. So writing out like how you're feeling, how your day's going and stuff, it kind of gives you um, just like to over like overthink things through and stuff like that. So that maybe if you are thinking about like, you know, sinning later yeah. and yeah. stuff like something like that, um, you get a chance to just like really think about it if that's like the right choice for you or not or what. Yeah, for sure. I think that's a great idea. What else? 
I love this. I love that we can like learn from each other because that's what community is for, right? I mean, I hope you're getting new ideas how to fight sin. Nick? <laughs> David? Uh, I, I absolutely want to share like between the human and robots, the difference between us, that's a, we have a choice to choose yeah. sin or not, and robot does not. Right. And also, uh, and, and I think the awareness is very, very, is very important in your life. If you, do not, if you are not awareness, aware uh, uh, you do this, how sad God is. If you uh, are not awareness, uh, how bad it is when you sin, if you, if you don't, if you are not awareness, uh, the, cons- the if you are not awareness, the, uh, you sin, uh, you're gonna go to the hell. Or you, can, you, or you are not uh, awareness clearly about uh, if you do this, you're gonna get consequences mm. of this. So everything comes from the awareness. If you are not awareness, you did wrong. You never change it. So yeah. that's the point I wanna share. So and also. Uh, and the, the important thing, also emotional, if you cannot control emotional, and you're going to let emo- emotional ruin your life. If you, every single situation, you deal with that, but you not control your emotional, that's going to ruin your life. And, and the last thing, uh, the biggest enemy of your life is yourself. Mm-hmm. If you win against yourself, you have no enemy. Yeah. So emotional, yourself, and awareness. You have to know really about treating to control your life. Yeah, yeah, that's really good, David. I I love that on emotions too because, yeah, emotions can lead us in a really bad direction if we rely on them. So it's important to think about it and have people sounding boards in your life that you can be like, is this a really stupid idea or am I just doing this out of a whim of emotion? So thank you, yeah. Anyone else? One more person if you want to go. All right, we'll keep moving on. That was great. Thanks, guys. Um, So now in our story, I want us to notice um, who, who Cain gets mad at here. Because God is the one who rejected Cain's sacrifice, right? So why does he take his anger out on his brother? Like, we read nothing in the text that they were already having some fight or there's some conflict between them. We don't know anything about that. To our knowledge, they were perfectly fine. They're coming to this family worship gathering. And then all of a sudden, Cain turns on Abel because Abel was successful and Cain was not, right? And so why does Cain choose to take his anger out on his brother instead of God? I think we do this a lot of times too when we don't get our way, that we take our frustration out on the person next to us, right? Instead of talking to God about like, maybe what are you trying to teach me here? Um, So I, I think oftentimes like we see for Cain, it's easier to take your anger out on the person next to you rather than talking to God about it. Um, and then this is the first time, like up until this point, the issues, the, the conflict are between God and humans, right? They're, they're vertical. And this is the first time we see the conflict between humans. So this is our first horizontal conflict that we're coming up against. And the first time we see humans practice evil against each other. 
Um, Walter Brueggemann calls this the brother problem. So what he means by this brother problem is that we in our life are always going to be surrounded by other people. Unless you're crazy and you figure out somehow never to interact with other people. But you're all in this room right now, so you're interacting with people, so I don't think you're a recluse and not gonna interact with other people. Um, but you are going to school, or you have a family, or you have a job that you are placed in a specific place next to a brother or sister, right? And so what do humans do in these situations? I think humans often remind us of our shortcomings. They remind us that we're not perfect. And ultimately, they remind us that we're not God. Like, if you think about it, that's what's happening here between Cain and Abel. Cain is realizing, oh, shoot, like, I, I can mess up. I have shortcomings. I'm not God. And Abel is reminding me of that. And instead of going to Abel and saying, hey, what can I learn? from you? How can you challenge me or thank you for challenging me and realizing I can be better? He sees Abel as competition all of a sudden. He sees Abel as competition and he turns on them. And y'all, I think brother, sister, um, sibling rivalry is so natural, right? Like if you have siblings, you know it's normal. Um, my little brother, not so little little brother, is sitting right over there. And we had all sorts of family rivalries. You don't want your siblings to beat you out, right? You don't want them to be better than you. Uh, so I was trying to think of a good story I could tell, and don't worry, I got Nathan's permission on this one. Um, but it actually involves our cousins who were like siblings to us when we were growing up. But we were playing a good game of family knockout. And it was all fun and games at first. Um, this, this is when we were pretty little, so Nathan, if I butcher the story a little bit, I'm sorry, but I'll get the main part right. Um, so we were playing knockout. Um, it was super fun. I get out. My cousin Skylar gets out. It's Nathan and Will left. Um, Nathan goes up for a shot. He misses. He goes to get his rebound, but before he can, his cousin Will swishes it. He's out. Will wins. End of the game. But Nathan proceeds to go get his rebound, and then he turns around and chunks the ball right at Will's face. Okay? So he all of a sudden realized, I just lost. I didn't get my way, and so I'm going to take my anger out on the closest person next to me, right? And don't worry, Nathan has figured out his over-competitiveness issues. He's fine now. And none of his basketball teammates are here to be worried that he's going to chuck a ball in their face. But um, So I tell you this story because I often think that this happens to us. I mean, we see this happening to Cain in the story. He doesn't get his way, and all of a sudden he wants to turn around and take his anger out on the closest person next to him, and how many times have you not gotten your way and you just want to peg someone in the face with a basketball, right? Like, maybe that's, you want to punch somebody. I don't know what, what you do, but it makes us frustrated when we don't get our way. Um, but why do we take it out on our brother, on our neighbor, on someone who doesn't deserve it? Uh, so I want us to read in Ephesians 6, again, right after the next verse that we, of what we read earlier. 
And it says, um, in verse 12 in Ephesians 6, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Okay, so what that is saying is our struggle shouldn't be horizontal, right? They shouldn't be against our brother, whether they've wronged you or not. They, there's much bigger battles that we should be fighting, and that's what the evil that is trying to entice us, okay? It's not against our brother or our sister. And if you were here at the table last week, we talked about this. We talked about the way that we show that we truly believe that God is love, and that is an essential part of who God is. God is love. And if we truly believe that, the way we show that is true is by loving our neighbor. The way that we show that is true is by loving our neighbor. And we were in chapter 4 in 1 John. That's what we were studying last week at the table. But I didn't even realize this, and I just want to share this with y'all because I think it's so cool when the Lord does this. But we were in chapter 4, and then chapter 3 in 1 John, starting in verse 11, says this. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belongs to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Everyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a fellow believer is a murderer, and you know that murderers have, you know no murderers have eternal life in them. How cool is that? First John is talking about Cain and Abel, and he's saying the same thing we talked about last week. And what we're talking about tonight is that we don't want to follow Cain's path and choose evil and death and hate towards our brother because that does not show that we are followers of Christ. Loving God and loving people go hand in hand. It's what we talk about here at the Vista all the time. Loving God and loving people are so important. God takes the way we treat our neighbors and our siblings very seriously. You can't love God without loving your neighbor. So our next question we're going to talk about is, um, are you harboring resentment towards anyone? And I know some of you, this is your first time, and um, you're maybe like, I don't want to say if I'm harboring resentment towards anyone. That's a lot to share. So maybe you could also share a story um, of when you took out your anger on someone else when they didn't get your way. So you can share a Nathan story with your table. Um, so y'all go ahead and discuss. All right. Do you, so I was going to say, I don't know if it's really like necessary for us to talk about this one, unless you, do you have a story that you think would be beneficial for everybody to hear? If you would like to share, I will not stop you. But I don't think we'll have like an, a, everyone share because, I mean, I just don't think it's helpful really. But uh, you can share if you want, Abby. It's just funny because it's what you talked about. So, like, I would love to hear your story. 
Well, it's just kind of funny that you said that like your brother threw a basketball at your cousin's head <laughs> because it just brought back a fun little memory. <laughs> um, but just freshman year, so like five, five, six years ago, and when I was in high school, um, so I was like 14, super hormonal freshman girl, right? <laughs> um, so I had like a little fling with this guy and my best friend and I, or whatever, it turned into this gigantic thing. She didn't like him, but like it, our little fling ended and I blamed her because I thought she like told my parents, told his, anyway, this whole thing happened. Well, we're both playing basketball at the same time. Oh, no. I was on the freshman A team, she was on the freshman B team. Um, when we, <laughs> when this like entire fight happened, I didn't talk to her for two months because I was so mad at her because I was blaming her for the whole like ending of it or whatever. But we're freshmen, so we weren't like dating. But you know, I <laughs> thought I was in love or whatever. But, right, um, right. We were doing this drill in basketball practice, and we had to throw the ball like across the court or whatever at someone, and they had to catch it. And me being mean, I knew she was weaker than me, and so I, it was our turn to go. And I saw that I was matched up with her, oh, and no. so the petty, crazy, mad teenager Abby was like, "Oh, here's a, like here's a chance I can get back at her or whatever." So I throw the ball as, like, as hard and fast as I can at her, knowing she wasn't going to catch it. And um, she did not catch it. Her face caught it. And I was like, oh, no. And everyone starts like going over to her. She, got some, she gets like a bloody nose and whatever. Oh, and I was no. like, oh, my gosh. And then I turn around and start laughing, because like, that was my plan. <laughs> but like, don't worry. We're friends now. And we laugh Good. about it to this day. But yeah. it's, it's kind of funny. So everyone learn from Abby and Nathan. <laughs> don't let your rage win. <laughs> rule over sin, right? <laughs> That's awesome. Thanks for sharing. Um, so let's, let's finish the story. Let's go to chapter, back to chapter four of Genesis. Also, if you didn't get a chance or you didn't feel comfortable with talking about, like, if you're struggling with resentment towards anyone, which I think probably most of us are in some capacity, like, if you live with other people, people are going to make you mad, and or you're, you're jealous of people, or whatever it is. So find someone to confess that to. Um, if you're in a small group, y'all will probably talk about it this next week. Um, we want to bring those resentments to the light because we are supposed to love our brothers and sisters for sure. So okay, we're going to finish the story. We are in verse nine. And it says, then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wonder on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today, you are driving me from my land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wonder on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod east of Eden. 
So this conversation should sound, again, really familiar to us. You see a pattern here? This is a very similar conversation that God had with Adam and Eve in the garden. He comes to them, and he's investigating what happened. He asks this question, and Cain tries to push it aside and deny it. He's like, I'm not my brother's babysitter. How am I supposed to know? But God knows, right? God knows what he did, and he then sentences him to what is now his sentence for what he did. And he's like, hey, I told Adam and Eve that now the ground was going to be really hard, and when they worked the ground, it was going to be really challenging. Well, now it's going to be extra challenging for you, and your crops are not going to produce anymore, which is his livelihood, right? Like, that's a pretty big deal. And then, just like Adam and Eve are banished from the Garden of Eden, Cain is also banished from the land of his family. So God gives Cain judgment in this situation. And Cain starts to freak out. He's like, oh no, now I'm going to be out in the open, away from God's protection, and someone's going to murder me because I deserve murder because I murdered my brother. And he's freaking out and like, I'm about to die, right? And guess what God's response is here? God is like, no, you're not going to die. Despite what you just did, I'm going to protect you. And it's really interesting, he puts this mark on Cain, and no one really knows what the mark was, um, but it's some outward symbol that is a sign that God is protecting Cain and that no one is supposed to kill him. So God, despite what Cain just did, is showing his really amazing good grace. We see here that God is judging Cain, but he's also showing his goodness and extending him grace. See, Cain chose the path that led, he chose the path of hate that led to death, but God chose love, which then restores life. So let's end with reading Romans 38, 39 through 39. It says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Guys, this is really, really good news right? Cain does receive judgment. We will receive judgment, and we are going to pick the wrong choice over and over again. We probably did it today. We did it yesterday. We're going to do it again tomorrow, but God extends his grace to us. No matter how far we try and run, his love still pursues us. He still chooses us. He doesn't turn his back on us. And I think that that's pretty awesome, right? We worship a pretty amazing God.